You're listening to the Arsenal Church Podcast. To learn more about the Arsenal, go to thearsenal.church. And if you'd like to receive more content throughout your week, feel free to download the Arsenal Church app. Hey, what's up? Good morning, Arsenal. How we doing? There we go. I know, I know you want to keep talking. Um, I'll, I'll, let, I'll let you finish, <laughs> I promise, but... Beyonce had the bet. Uh, <laughs> hey, uh, good morning. Thanks for being here. Thanks for hanging out with us this Sunday morning. You guys doing all right? Awesome. Hey, I had a quick question. Anybody in here um, know? <laughs> no, no, no. All right. Um, anyone in here know the meaning of your name? Yeah, you know it? And I don't mean like just definition, like it's a, it's a word that has a definition, mariposa. Um, you know the meaning of your name. Who, who knows the meaning of their name? Okay, we got, we got, a, what is it, Mari? Yeah. I, I said not definition, like not, not, not the actual meaning, but like you've been told like this was the meaning of your name. Athena, what is it? All right, Athena, <laughs> the Greek goddess. Uh, who else? She's an eight. Who else? Who else? Anybody else? Ruby. Well, I, come on, I. You guys, I don't think you understood the question. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that's a stretch. Uh -huh. Jackson, what? Uh, Raphael's a ninja turtle. I feel like we're we've missed this point. We miss. He is. He's like the third best ninja turtle. Uh, whoa! I feel like I just divided the room. All right, we gotta we gotta we gotta dig in on this a little bit. Uh, raise your hand if Leonardo's the best. Ninja Turtle. No, okay. Raise your hand if Donatello is the best Ninja Turtle. Okay, we got a couple. How about Raphael? Oh, we got, okay. Uh, and Michelangelo, I'm just kidding. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. Obviously. Um, <laughs> I mean, that one's pretty obvious, right? Uh, who doesn't like some nunchucks? Um, anybody else know the meaning of your name? Noble or exalted? Thank you for understanding what I was trying to get at, Allison. Uh, noble or exalted? Who else? Who else? I see one in the back. You're in the sun. I can't tell. Yeah. Oh, I see you. <laughs> now I see who you are. Hi, Sarah. <laughs> princess. Sarah's means princess. Who? Somebody over here. Hebrew for the great listener. I like that one. What else? What else? Are we doing Duncan or Robert or? Mallory's what? French for what? A monkey? Unlucky. <laughs> Not a monkey, unlucky. All right. One more. One more. 
Anybody else? No, I'm just kidding. Brittany, what you got? Huh? It's got a meaning. Look it up. Google what your name means. Um, so, all right, all right. So Chad is my name. Uh, Google tells me that my name is Celtic, and it means warrior. I was told my whole life that it means God's warrior. <laughs> um, so that, that's what I grew up with. Like, you are God's warrior. Um, that was... I don't think my mom actually named me because of that. I think she named me because it's some guy on a soap opera she liked. But, but then she told me that God's warrior uh, is what it meant. Um, now, if you fast forward in my story a little bit to the year of 2000, um, I'm graduating high school. Yes, I'm old. Uh, but also during the year of 2000, I learned a new meaning for my name, Chad. Um, Rob talked a lot last week about politics, so I'm not going to go there. But... It was during a presidential election that I learned that my name has a different meaning, and I, here's the definition. A piece of waste material removed from card or tape by punching. Now, not like punching, you know, like a hole punch? So you, when you, when you do, use a hole punch, that little round thing that falls out, that's a Chad. I learned this from the 2000 presidential election because apparently in the election, uh, like cards that would go in and get punched, uh, there were hanging chads um, where the whole, you know how you like you use a hole punch and the little round thing doesn't fall out, it hangs on the paper. So you see the round thing, but it doesn't actually fall. Do you, do you know what I'm talking about? Anybody got a hole punch? I'll show you. <laughs> so that was a hanging chad. It was a big thing in Florida. Uh, George W. Bush, Al Gore running against each other. They said there was a bunch of hanging chads, and that's why. I think, I think it was like Al Gore didn't win Florida because the hanging chads didn't get counted because they didn't fall through the hole. Uh, anyway, uh, so that became a thing. People were like, ha, hanging chad. Hey, what's up? I'm hanging with chad. Uh, yeah, people were weird. Uh, so I went from God's warrior to a piece of waste <laughs> punched out of paper. And now in 2024, I don't know if you know what it's like to be living time in a time where Chad um, is not so great. It's uh, the name is a punchline. Uh, it's kind of derogatory jab these days. Chad, a uh, Chad, is a stereotypical alpha male. He's depicted as attractive. Don't disagree. Uh, successful, muscular, um, cocky, and very popular among women. Um, Chad's typically resemble the common dude bro, figure of a young athletic white male who wears trendy clothing and only enjoys popular things. Now, hey, all y'all, come on, everybody's like, well, I mean, um, <laughs> so, uh, I've honestly, in the last few years, thought about changing my name. Um, it's essentially like, if you're a woman and your name's Karen, like it's just not a good time to be alive. Uh, so Karens and Chads, we are struggling. So I went from uh, God's warrior to a punched out piece of waste to a dude bro, um, at least by like namesake, right? By, this is what my name is. My name, for those of you that don't know, is actually not Chad. Um, that's a lie. Uh, 
No, actually, my name is Chadrick. <laughs> so look that one up. Um, but that, that's my name progression. Uh, it's great. It's, I'm good. We're fine. Um, could be worse, I guess. Maybe. <laughs> it could be way better. Um, so I guess my question today, wow, y'all got real quiet. That was cool. Is what does it look like to live up to a name? What does it look like? What does it look like to live up to a name? Uh, there's a story. We're going through this series right now called Stories. There's a story in the New Testament about a name, a man named Onesimus. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna read about Onesimus today. We find it his story in the book of Philemon, uh, which is a letter that was written to by Paul to his friend Philemon. Um, but really, the main character in the book of Philemon is this man named Onesimus. So we're going to read the entire book of Philemon today, the whole thing. Uh, So sit back, relax a bit, drink your coffee. You'll be able to say that you read a whole book today when you leave. Uh, You're welcome. But uh, you you don't have to leave. They're like, nope, I'm out. It's basically going to be like an audio book. I'm going to read it to you. Um, We're going to read through Philemon today, and then we're going to talk about this guy named Onesimus. So take a deep breath. Here we go. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Would you like me to put on 1.5? You guys do audiobooks at 1.5? Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, also to Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. Grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers, because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. Therefore, although in Christ, I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is as none other than Paul, an old man, and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. I'm sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have looked like to Keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I'm in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent, so that any favor you do would not seem forced, but would be voluntary. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He's a very, he is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back. Not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one thing more. Prepare a guest room for me because I hope to be restored to you in answers to your prayers. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends, sends you greetings. And so to Mark, Aristarchus, 
Demas and Luke, my fellow workers, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. End book. Thanks, thanks, thanks. We just read an entire book of the Bible, uh, Philemon. What's funny is it's actually the third shortest book of the Bible, so there's two more you could go read today. Um, so for a quick recap, for those of you that tuned me out after chapter or verse 1, I get it. Paul's in prison. He meets another prisoner named Onesimus, who happens to be a slave of Paul's friend Philemon. Onesimus is apparently, he's apparently ran away from Philemon, and Paul is appealing to his friend to forgive Onesimus and accept him back, not as a slave, but as a brother equal in Christ. A couple of things you need to know for context here. Paul Paul wrote a lot of letters. If you read the New Testament, a lot of the New Testament are letters that Paul wrote to churches. And in those churches, or in those letters, Paul begins the letters oftentimes like writing by pulling rank. Like he's like, I don't know if you know who I am. But just so you know, here's who I am. Um, And he explains who he is in the faith, ultimately why the church receiving that letter should listen to him and respect him. He introduces himself with authority to that church. But in Philemon, he doesn't, really go that far or deep into pulling rank. It's a short book. He just, he kind of mentions a couple things, but it's, it's pretty quick. And what historians, theologians, what we can deduce from this is that Paul and Philemon, they knew each other. Like Philemon wasn't someone he was just writing that didn't know Paul. Like they had a relationship. He, they, they knew each other. So Paul didn't have to come in and be like, hey, this is, this is who I am. You need to listen to me. I got some authority. Now, this is like a personal letter written to a friend that Paul is writing to Philemon. They knew each other. He's appealing to his friend on behalf of Onesimus. Now, Paul's appeal in this letter to Philemon has some very specific points that he kind of skillfully navigates in this request to Philemon to to forgive and accept Onesimus back. One, Paul appeals to Philemon on the basis of love. He says in the book, he says, I could be bold and I could order you to do this, but I prefer to appeal to your ability to love your fellow human." That, that, this is my appeal. I'm going to appeal to the love that you have. Number two, he introduces the idea that Onesimus is his son in Christ. Um, the idea that Onesimus has, for lack of a better term, like accepted Christ for, for a quick description. We'll, we'll talk about that a little bit more in a minute. Three, Paul says that Onesimus was useless to Philemon, which I think is a little harsh. <laughs> like, hopefully, uh, Onesimus didn't read this part of the letter. Um, he says he's sending Uh, Number four, he's sending Onesimus back to Philemon, Um, maybe even with this letter. There's a good chance that Onesimus actually was handed this letter as he was released from prison to take back to Philemon and hand him the letter from Paul. So runaway, runaway slave, gets a letter to go back to the person he ran away from to hand it to him and be like, hey, Paul wanted you to see this. This this is a very good possibility that Onesimus had to carry this back. So he says in there, um, please accept him back. Here's the risky part about all this. In Jewish law, a runaway slave could be put to death for his actions. So Philemon could have seen him, had him put to death, no problems. So Paul is saying, here, take this. Good luck, right? Like, it's a radical request, especially during this time in history. And then six, Paul says, I'll pay you back whatever he owes you. But then he like tags on the end of that, like, but don't forget, like, you kind of owe me your life. So we might be good. Um, it's interesting, this, this short book, there's like, 
if you like dig into it, there's so much gospel that's just in the book, the, the story of knowing who you are, knowing whose you are, knowing how to love and, and view other humans. It's in this small book, there, there's just a lot to it. So we're going to try and pull just a little bit out, um, and I'll get you out of here by about 1.30. So, So I told you my story a few weeks ago, um, some of you guys heard it, that uh, my, I grew up in church, um, I grew up in the youth group, I was, I was gung-ho, I went to Bible college, I got married um, right before I went to the military, uh, or we got married, I was in the military, I got a divorce, and in the midst of that divorce, I was told a lot of things about who I was, how bad I was, how God would never use me again, and then... Um, Fast forward to where we are now. So it's a, very, it's a very interesting story. So there's some parallels that I draw to Onesimus in this, and I'll, I'll kind of explain that in a little bit. But this book carries a lot of value for me. It's, there's this idea that a lot of my life and the ideas of where I thought my value came from um, are similar to, I think, where Onesimus was. So the name Onesimus actually means valuable, profitable, or useful. Valuable, profitable, or useful. This is the meaning of the name Onesimus. Now, I wonder if like Onesimus and those around him at his time of life when he was with Philemon, that they gave value to that name by what he could do in his role as a slave. He was useful to do work, that was required of him. In fact, we see that Paul says in his letter, he was once, he is useless to you now, Philemon, but he's now useful to both of us. And Paul was a great writer and isn't dumb. He's like, he, he's poking a little bit here at Philemon and, and he's, he's introducing a new idea. But I wonder if, if Onesimus's value, the, the idea of him being useful, what only worked under the system of rules and his ability to not mess up, his ability to do his work, his ability to stay useful in this time to the person that owned him. This was a system of laws that only assigned value to the person for their works and their capabilities, what they could bring to the table through their actions. And for many of us, I think in a parallel, we grew up in a system of religion that only really values us to the level that we could do the work. Right, The level that we could be the good Christian. The level that we could live up to the rules that were laid out before us. As long as we could follow the rules, we were considered valuable. We were good. But some of us were told maybe we were useless from the very beginning. Like this is the theology of, of just uselessness. Like you were worthless. You were a dirty, rotten sinner. Thank God for Jesus. Right? Like there's this, there's this idea that your value was nothing. We had this view of God that we were given, that one that said that God wasn't pleased with us, but thank God Jesus loves us and would at least trick his father into maybe being okay with us, right? Like, there, there's a theology that says that we were, actually there's a theologian that says that we were dung. I won't use the other word. That we were dung. And his his... His analogy was, and then Jesus came, and he covered us like snow, and we are snow-covered dung. So, 
under the snow, we're still dung, but Jesus made us white like snow, right? Like this is a theology that kind of undergirds most of evangelical theology. This, this idea in the church is that we are worthless, we're dirty, we're rotten, but Jesus covers us. He hides us so that his father, who's angry, doesn't see us, but he sees Jesus. So for the longest time growing up in church, I did everything right. I was a good Christian, right? I did it all. I checked all the boxes. There were times in my life growing up in, in youth group and, and uh, traveling around. Even I, I went to Bible college. But even before that, there was all the, all, always people in my life in the church would be like, man, man, God's got big plans for you. God, oh, man, God's going to use you. He's got big plans for you. Man, you got such a calling on your life. And I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm, I'm such a good Christian. Look at me. Look at, look at, look at how good I am. I'm going to go to Bible college. And then I dropped out of Bible college. That didn't help. Um, but man, God, God's got big plans for you. Translation for me was you are so valuable. You're useful to God. There's so much that he's going to do through you because you are useful. But just as Onesimus was in the system that he was in, my role was built into the system of as long as I did what I was supposed to, then I had value. I was good. I would be used. God saw me as someone with a calling on his life that he could use to do major, mighty things. But then Onesimus messed up. He didn't follow the rules. He no longer lived up to his name of useful, valuable. He ran away. He broke the law. In fact, he deserved death, it says, under this law. Like I said, I told you a couple weeks ago about my story that I made some very poor decisions, hurtful decisions, and ultimately led to the church, the people that had told me my whole life that God was so excited to use me, that God had a big, big plans for me, that they just couldn't wait to see all that God would do for me or through me. They told me I'd lost my calling, my value, my usefulness to God. And then I got on a plane, flew to the country of Iraq, and had to deal with, like, okay, now what? <laughs> I was useless to God. I, I could come to church. Like, there were people literally, they're like, it's a, you can come to church, maybe even ask for forgiveness, but I would never have the value that I had before. I was blemished. Ultimately, I was useless. I could, I could exist but with no real value to ministry, no real value to God. I don't know, maybe I'm not the only one that's been told at times that, hey, you're allowed to be here, but well, whoa, 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 not too far. Your usefulness, your value only goes to a certain level, and, and then we, we got to have some conversations about what God can actually do through you. Because it's your actions that dictate your value to God in that system. Paul says, Onesimus was once useless to Philemon. And I don't think Paul really believed that Onesimus was useless. I believe he was absolutely speaking a bit tongue-in-cheek in this moment. He's doing a little play off of Onesimus' name and the meaning of it. He says that Onesimus was useless to Philemon because in the system that saw him only as valuable to the level he did the work, his value was all about his ability to do. 
That's where his value, his name came from, what he could do in that system. Paul says he was useless to you, but now he's useful to you and me. I believe in this moment, Paul is appealing to Philemon to move from a place and belief where he saw and judged Onesimus as a cog in a machine or as the, whatever he could do as his value only being what he brought to the table. Paul is saying, hey, we don't see him that way any longer. But I want you to truly see him as a fellow human being. Like this isn't, this isn't useful because of his actions and what he could do, this is Onesimus because that's who he is. He was appealing to Philemon and saying, hey, we have, we've been under this idea and system that people only get value by what they can bring to the table. He says, one whose value isn't, this is someone whose value isn't what they can do, but one that is seen and known as a person who's known as valuable because that's the name he was given from the very beginning. You see, Onesimus wasn't given the name just because he did something. That was his name. When he, that, that, that was the name he got. He was born Onesimus. He was born useful. He was born valuable. Now he got thrown into a system that said, okay, so to live up to your name, you must do this, this, and this. And if you do this, you are no longer useful to us. Onesimus was called valuable from the beginning, not because he did something well, but because he carried that name from the moment of his creation. Some of us have been told that we needed to earn or prove our value in order to be accepted and seen by God, or accepted and seen in this community called church. I know I was. I know from stories that I've heard from some of you that you have also been told. That. In fact, sometimes you still hear that. I saw a post on Instagram yesterday from a former pastor that drove home this idea that I wasn't the only one that thought this. He said this, and I think I have it on the, for the screen. He said, they told us we were damnable and worthless, and then told us Jesus loved us. We wept at Bible camp and altar calls because we believed we were loved from a state of worthlessness. They beat us down, then gave us a slight relief and called it good news. It was a reminder to me that, that maybe other people have been told that they are worthless, that they don't belong, that they have no value. Look at this. We went to Bible camp and altar calls because we believed we were loved from a state of worthlessness. That's him saying that in church we were told we're worthless, but if you just come forward and let Jesus, let Jesus change you, you'll no longer be worthless. You'll be valuable. But what, what does that tell me as a teenager? Well, you're worthless. But thank God, Jesus covers that dung like snow. It was this idea that we are broken. I don't know, maybe you remember this type of approach to God and the gospel. It starts with bad news of uselessness, worthlessness, dirty, rotten sinner as our value in God. That's how, value, or how God views us. Then you're told, but Jesus loved you anyway. Jesus loved you in spite of all this badness. Isn't that good news? I remember Rob had a, had a video that he did a while back. It's probably on our Instagram somewhere. About this idea that we thought we have to introduce this bad thing in order to be like, 
Oh, but Jesus will love you. And here's the good news. Like, like you have to start with the idea that you're broken, you're rotten, you're dirty, so that then you can accept Jesus and, and experience this good news. He said that we were loved even when we were worthless. And if we accept that love, we can then become valuable and useful. Our job, then after becoming valuable and accepting Jesus, we, in, in this moment, our job was then to find our value and usefulness in what? In following the rules. And then ultimately, in telling other people this story of worthlessness, but, but that there's a man named Jesus that loves you and that will change that or at least cover it up so God doesn't see it. That he's, that he's a person that loves you in spite of your worthlessness. And I know some of you right now are like, what the heck? <laughs> this is not the church. But I, but I think that's not good news when we start with worthlessness and bad news. When we start with brokenness. Because... As long as we're telling people about this story and convincing them that there's good news, that, that it's there for them too, we're, we're kind of in a system like Onesimus where we're doing the work so we're finding our value and our usefulness. But the moment we can't or we don't, that usefulness goes away. It, it's not good news that you're broken, you're dung, but Jesus will cover it up and we'll hide that from Jesus. That, it just doesn't sound like good news to me. In fact, the gospel, I don't believe, has to start with bad news and then be good. Like, it doesn't need the bad news to be good. That's the whole point of the gospel. It's just good news. Literally, gospel means good news. You don't, you don't need the lead in of the bad in order for it to be good. Jesus, the gospel of Jesus, is it, it's good news, not Oh man, here's this bad thing about you, but Jesus loved you anyway and he'll, he'll fix you. The, the reality is that we were called valuable from the very beginning. When God finished creating everything, everything including humanity in Genesis 1, he said, it is very good. You see, in a system that says that you are worthless, you are broken, you're dirty, you're rotten, you're a sinner... We're starting in Genesis 3. We're starting in a moment where Adam made a decision and, and it says that he ate this fruit and that, that sin entered in and, and, and that, that he covered himself up to hide himself from God. But that's not the beginning of the story of humanity. That's not the beginning of the story of creation. Humanity, creation, started in Genesis 1 where God, the creator, said, it is very Good. Genesis 1.31, then God looked over all he had made and saw that it was very good. I know for some of us this might be a, like confusing or a mind shift, but because I know for me it was. Like I've been told my whole life, you are broken, you are rotten, you are worthless. That's how you were born. But Jesus came and he still loved you anyway to fix that but that's beginning at a brokenness in Genesis 3, not in the very good part of Genesis 1. For some reason, 
In theology and in church, we got stuck on the idea from Genesis 3 where Adam messed up and a thought entered into our world and consciousness that we humans are bad and are worthless. And that we only become valuable after Jesus. But here's the thing, I, I don't think that's what Jesus was doing, was coming to fix our worthlessness. I don't think Jesus came to take our worthlessness and just make us valuable. I think Jesus came to remind us where we came from. I think Jesus came to remind us that we have value from the very beginning. I think Jesus came to remind you that you are not worthless, you are not broken, but you were created and called very good. He came to remind us that just as Onesimus was called valuable before he could ever prove anything by his works, we were called valuable. We were called very good from the beginning. Not because we were proving anything, but because we were created by a God that is love and gave us his name and his likeness. He said, I'm going to breathe my life into this creation. I'm going to create something that is very good because a God who is good, who is love, can only create good. Onesimus may have thought he was worthless because he didn't live up to the value in a system of proving himself. I don't believe Paul was giving him a new value under the same system. Like I, don't, I don't believe when Paul said, oh, he used to be useless, but he's useful now. I don't believe he was giving him a new value. I think he was reminding him of his created value. There was no longer a difference in Onesimus and in Philemon because that system of belief was It was man-made. It was a man-made system of belief and view of people. Any system that says that someone is better than someone else is man-made because that's not how God works. Any system that says that one man is more valuable than another doesn't make sense to a God who created all things and said it's very good. I would argue that that is a man-made system. And why? I, I, the argument would be, well, Chad, if, if man is good, then why would they make a system of, of like devaluing and worthless? Because we got lied to. The entrance of sin into the world through the, the eating of the apple or the fruit from, from the Genesis 3 was this idea that we, it was an idea, sin entered in, that told us we are something other than what we are. It told us that we were not valuable. If I tell you all the time that you're stupid, you'll just believe it, even if you're not. So we've been told over and over and over and over again that you're broken, you're worthless, you're a sinner. Whoa, man, I, 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 need, I need Jesus to fix that. And Jesus came and said, I'm not here to fix it, I'm here to remind you. There's a difference. There's a difference in fixing you the brokenness of you and reminding you of where you came from, removing the lie. In the same way, I don't think Jesus came to not make you valuable, but to remind you of your value that has been yours from the very beginning, before the lies of worthlessness crept in. Ephesians 2.10 says that, for we are God's masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ Jesus, so we can do the things he planned for us long ago. The, the word anew doesn't mean he actually created you new. It means that he, he reminded, he, he fixed. The idea of repent, we've talked about this before. Repent, the word repent in the Greek is uh, metanoia. 
And a lot of times in the church, we've been taught that repent means to turn and stop doing this action. Well, that's a system of action. That's a system of proving my worth through what I do. That's not the system we live under. That's not who God is. Metanoia means a change of mind, a renewal of mind. It's a, you're not worthless. You've always been valuable. It's a believing that. It's a, I've been told I'm stupid my whole life and somebody coming in and being like, you've been lied to. You've been, you've been smart and valuable and amazing your entire life. Someone lied to you. Don't believe that lie. Because when you stop believing that lie, you'll start, you'll start living from the space of, oh, I am, I am valuable. I am good. Someone lied to you. What happened in Genesis 3? We were lied to. A lie entered into humanity that has broken us for a long time, that has confused us for a long time. Jesus came not to fix you, but to remove the lie and remind you of who you are. If you've been told these lies of worthlessness, un unlovable, unworthy, especially by the church, I, I'm so sorry. I don't, I don't believe that that is the heart of God. I don't. I don't believe that that is the heart of our creator. I don't believe that he created anything and said it's worthless. I believe Genesis 1 is true where it says that you are very good. I believe that you're loved, that you're valued, that you're worthy. Not because of what you've done or what you can do, but because of who your creator is and who he made you to be. From the very beginning. You entered this world valuable. You entered this world loved. You didn't do anything to become valuable or loved. You, you, you can't. Because the God who is loved already assigned value to you. And just in the same way that you didn't earn that value, you didn't become loved or valuable through actions, you also can't become unvaluable or unloved or unworthy through actions because your actions don't dictate your value. Your creator did, and your creator does. So when we're in a system that says that I must do things in order to prove my value, then we're in the wrong system. We've been lied to. We've been put into a practice that's not ours. You were loved, you were valued, you're worthy because that's who your creator made you to be from the very beginning. It's when we begin to look inside and see who we truly are, that's when we begin to experience this love and value of God. It's when we, when we listen to that, that voice of what we would call the Holy Spirit or the Spirit. It's, it's, that, it's that renewing of our mind to remind us of who we are, how valuable we are, we are, where we came from, what we were created for. And then... Just as Paul asks Philemon, I would appeal to you to begin to see others around you in that same way. Because if, if you're not in that system, then neither are they. We're not going out there to fix anyone. We're not going out there to tell somebody they're worthless so that they, can, they need Jesus in order to be valuable. Now that, that's a lie. That's a system that, that we weren't created to be in. We're not going out there to fix anyone, but we're going out there to love, to love everyone. That, that was the story and the message of the gospel. It's through that love and kindness that we might have the opportunity to tell others that have been maybe told their whole life that they're unlovable, that they're worthless, that they're invaluable. We get to tell them that they are loved, that they have always been loved. That they have nothing 
there's nothing they can do to earn more love because they are loved so much by God right now that they can't lose it, they can't, they can't earn it. It's the most love that could ever happen because that's who God is. No matter what they've done or will do, God loves them. This is what Jesus was doing in the Gospels. If you read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, you see the interaction of Jesus with people that a system, society at the time, was telling, you're not worthy. We can't even eat with you. You're so unclean. And the religious leaders would come to Jesus and be like, you can't eat with these people. Do you know what they've done? And he's like, yeah, this is who I came for. To remind the people that you've told don't belong that they're loved, they're valued, not because of this system, but because that's who they are. Because that's their name. That's the name I gave them. Because if the good news isn't good news for all people, then it's not really good news. I, I, I have this heart that like, it's, I don't have a heart. I do have a heart. Let me think what I'm going to say here. I do have a heart. That just threw me off on a whole other theological conversation of, well, you have a heart of stone. You, you have a bad heart. Right, Rob? We've been told, Scripture says you have a, you have a heart of stone. Uh, yeah, because Jesus said he was giving you a new heart to replace this, this lie that's created this idea that you thought you were something that you're not. I don't know, I, I have this... You, you, you look around, you, you see our church, the people, people that are here. I think we're like a, it's like the island of misfit toys. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but the reality is like, a lot of us have been told that we're not worthy. We're not valuable because we didn't live up to a system or, or a level inside of a system that we were either born into or placed in or that people have told us that we belong in. But I, I think the gospel, the reason Jesus came was to remove us from that system, to say that this system of religion was never what it was meant to be. This is not what you were supposed to be and you were a masterpiece from the very, very beginning. Your actions don't dictate who you are. They don't add value to you. They don't take value away from you because that is not the set point of your value, but who I say you are is your value. So we're going to do this. We're going to end service. There's a song. You know, you know how like at the end of the year, your Spotify or your Arsenal, your Arsenal app, uh, your Apple Music app, Arsenal Apple, uh, your Apple Music app like tells you your favorite song of the year, your most played song of the year. I don't listen to a ton of music, but when I find a song I like, I just kind of like, it just plays. And there's a song um, this last year that I played a lot. And uh, I play like literally the entire morning, it's been playing on my headphones. And when I get in my car, it plays. And it like, if it, if it goes to the next song, I go back to it. <laughs> it's weird. But it's a song that I... It's a, originally, it's a song that I, I heard a long, long time ago, but it was redone by one of my favorite artists of all time. And, and it, it has this, this idea, this line, the song's called Meant to Live, and there, there's this idea that 
We were meant to live for, he knew, you knew I was going to say that, didn't you? This idea that we were meant to live for so much more. And I think for some of us, we just kind of got by because we felt like that's all we were allowed to do. That in this system, we were allowed to exist only. That there was no value to us because we've been told we're not valued. We're not valuable. We, we, we don't live up to a standard of, of excellence or whatever that is. And I don't know, maybe this song doesn't even say this, but for me, it's, it's this idea that if I look inside at my identity of who I am, who I was created to be by the creator who is love, then it's from that space that I begin to realize my value and the outside voices go away and I, I know who I am because my creator says I am who I am. And then I can live from that place. So I'm gonna put this song on. It's three minutes. I know I'm a little, little late. It's three minutes. I want you to close your eyes, feel comfortable, sit there. If you wanna leave, you're welcome to, whatever you wanna do. But I, I want you to sit and listen, Blanca, not you. Sit down. Um, <laughs> um, I want you to listen to the, the, the song and even more so, I want you to just, maybe ask Jesus, ask, ask the Spirit to just speak to you, to remind you who you are, to remove any of the voices that have told you you're, you're less than, you're not valuable, that you're, you're not worthy. And maybe hear where you come from, who you are and whose you are. So we're going to take a minute, just three minutes, to listen to this and then we'll, we'll be done. Thank you for listening. Our hope is that you feel loved and encouraged. If you have questions or need prayer, please email hello at thearsenal.church and don't forget to download the Arsenal Church app.